Welcome to Legal Ethics Now and Next. I'm Jim Dopke, partner at the Chicago firm of Robinson Stewart, Montgomery & Dopke. We concentrate our practice in legal ethics, professional responsibility, and professional liability matters. We're all former attorney disciplinary prosecutors, and our partner, Mary Robinson, was the administrator of the Illinois disciplinary system. On this podcast, we discuss substantive ideas, practice tips, and trends in our industry here in Illinois and nationwide. We have a few more episodes coming like the first ones in which I discuss ethical topics, but soon we'll be doing interviews with others in various sectors of law practice and legal technology and innovation. There are a lot of interesting lawyers and educators out there, and I'd like to center them as we explore legal ethics as it is now and what comes next. Let's say you're starting a law firm, and let's say you're partnering up with a lawyer in a nearby state. They've got a great line on how to make a firm work in both jurisdictions. You've got your ballpoint pens, your yellow pads, your pocket parts. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm being told it's not 1995. I apologize. You've got your remote answering service, your cloud storage, your AI research assistant, and you've got a partner who's licensed only in the other state. You read Rule 5.4 of the Illinois Rules of Professional Conduct. It says a lawyer can't enter into a partnership with a non-lawyer if the entity is going to provide legal services. If my partner isn't licensed in Illinois, doesn't that make her a non-lawyer here? Have I violated the rule? Do I have to report myself to the ARDC? What is going on? It's great when as an ethics lawyer I can say, not a problem. This is one of those times. And again, this is the kind of not a problem that helps people innovate, create new firms and new entities, and expand their business in ways that are not forbidden by regulation. But what about that point about someone who's not licensed here not being a lawyer for Illinois purposes? Isn't that true? Well, yes and no. It's true that if a lawyer is licensed somewhere else, their ability to practice here in Illinois is restricted. Not forbidden completely, but restricted. Rule 5.5 of our Rules of Professional Conduct says they can practice here on a temporary basis or they can practice some kind of federal law. So if you're starting a firm that's only going to do immigration or some other kind of federally authorized work, then there's a lot less to worry about thanks to that exemption. But let's say this is going to be a two-person firm doing state law-based matters, with the Illinois licensed partner handling Illinois matters and the other lawyer handling matters in the state where they're licensed. Can you somehow form an entity to do that despite what Rule 5.4 says? We'll take a look after the break. In this case, it's Illinois Supreme Court Rule 721 that holds the key. That's the rule that sets out how lawyers can practice in Illinois in the form of a limited liability entity. A professional corporation, professional association, limited liability partnership, and so on. Section A1 of the rule says that each natural person who is a shareholder, officer, director, partner, or member of the limited liability entity shall be licensed to practice law. Also, employees of the entity who are engaged in the practice of law must be licensed to practice law. Now, this is not the part of the rule that says that 
the person must be licensed to practice law in Illinois, just licensed to practice law. The next section, A2, says that one or more persons shall be members of the Bar of Illinois and engaged in the practice of law in Illinois who are shareholders, officers, directors, and so on. So if one member of a two-member firm can be licensed in Illinois, the other can be licensed somewhere else. It works for big law. It works for small law, too. There are two more important directives within Rule 721A. The limited liability entity is prohibited from violating the rules of professional conduct, just like the individual lawyers within the entity, and any lawyer who is a part of the entity and who is not licensed in Illinois is disallowed from practicing Illinois law unless specially admitted by court order. So that's a narrower category there than the exceptions to our Rule 5.5, which, as I mentioned before, permit temporary practice under certain circumstances or federally authorized practice. But if you want to practice as an entity with limited liability protections and to have a non-Illinois lawyer as an owner, member, or partner, or whatever, then that lawyer cannot practice in Illinois unless they're licensed here or specially licensed by a court. Is that the end of Rule 721? No, there's one more major requirement. The entity has to obtain malpractice insurance or present proof of financial responsibility under the terms set out in Supreme Court Rule 722. I'm not going to get into the weeds of Rule 722 and its particular terms right here, but suffice it to say that it sets out a minimum amount of insurance or a minimum amount of money that a firm has to have set aside to satisfy claims against it. The amount of insurance or the amount of money set aside does not function as a cap on liability. It's just the minimum amount you have to have if you want the limited liability protections. But what if a firm doesn't register under Rule 721? 721B says, if a lawyer violates standards of professional conduct, including any provision of this rule, they are personally responsible for such act or omission and are subject to discipline therefore. Also, any violation of the rule by the entity is a ground for the court to terminate or suspend the right of the entity to practice law or otherwise to discipline it. Now that's a concept that doesn't appear anywhere else in our disciplinary law, discipline imposed on an entity beyond just the revocation of the 721 certificate. I don't know that the court has ever undertaken to discipline an entity in that way, or to discipline an individual lawyer for a violation of Rule 721. In fact, the court has published opinions that have a different theme. They've considered not whether to discipline a lawyer or firm for violating the rule, but whether an unregistered firm's actions are void or constitute a nullity, or whether the firm has engaged in the unauthorized practice of law. We'll look at what the court has said about that after the break. If you're thinking about any ethical issue, big or small, if you have a one-off question or a larger project, if you're having difficulty getting past something, or if you're looking at the best ethical ways to solidify and grow your business, make sure you contact Robinson, Stewart, Montgomery, and Docky today. We represent clients in attorney and judicial discipline defense, professional liability defense, sanctions proceedings, and admissions and character and fitness matters. We also provide opinion letters and expert testimony concerning a wide variety of professionalism issues. We have the experience, insight, and empathy you'll need 
to find the best way forward, ethically speaking. Call us today for a consultation at 312-676-9875. That's 312-676-9875. Or check out our website at www.rsmdlaw.com for more information. In the case of Storto versus Becker, the appellate court considered the application of Rule 721 to a contract for legal fees. I'll put the citations to the rule in these cases in the show notes. The defendant was a former client of the firm who claimed that her fee agreement with the firm was void because the firm was not registered under Rule 721. The appellate court rejected that contention. It said that if a party wanted, wants relief based on a violation of a Supreme Court rule, regarding the discipline of attorneys and their admission to the state bar, that party has to show harm. For example, the party could show that they relied upon the existence of a corporate entity in seeking legal services, or that they were injured by a delay in the firm's registration. But absent a showing of that kind of harm, the defendant would not be relieved of her contractual obligations to the firm. The appellate court also re rejected the contention that Rule 721 was put in place as a public protection or public safety measure. The court very bluntly said, we believe the rule was created to generate additional revenue. It noted that there are no civil or criminal pen penalties for non-compliance with the rule, and that a law firm generally does not incorporate for the benefit of clients or the public, but for its own benefits. Here, limited liability protection and some tax benefits. As I mentioned, Storto is an Illinois appellate court case. Our Supreme Court didn't have occasion to consider the issues raised in Storto or similar issues until a 2008 case called Ford Motor Credit v. Sperry. In that case, the Supreme Court considered a trial court ruling that vacated an award of attorney's fees to a client who was represented by a firm that was not registered under Rule 721. The trial court found that the firm was not entitled to collect the fee because of its non-registration, finding specifically that the firm's actions while unregistered constituted the unauthorized practice of law. The Supreme Court held that the trial court should not have vacated the award because the, the firm's representation did not constitute the unauthorized practice. The court relied on the appellate court's opinion in Storto and explicitly said that it was correctly decided. It didn't specifically mention the appellate court's comment about Rule 721 being there only to gener generate revenue, but it didn't repudiate that either. The court's main point was that the Storto court was right. 721 is not there to protect the public. It's there to create an administrative system for registering multi-member firms as limited liability entities. The firm at issue in the Sperry case was a multi-member firm, and even though it wasn't registered at certain times in the case, it wasn't operating unethically or illegally. Its actions were not void, and its pleadings and filings were not nullities. Now, there's no indication in Sperry that the firm at issue had any partners or owners who were not licensed in Illinois, like the hypothetical two-member firm we started out talking about at the beginning of this episode. Could a firm like that be at any greater risk of engaging in the unauthorized practice of law if it weren't to register under Rule 721? I would say, even despite the strong protections that Storto and Sperry provide Illinois lawyers, a multi-jurisdictional entity attempting to operate without registering under Rule 721 would need to be careful. 
if the state X lawyer establishes a systematic and continuous presence here, and especially if they advise clients or perform any work on Illinois matters, that could raise the specter of the unauthorized practice of law. And the bar regulators of one or more states could become aware of the situation and would investigate if they did. In my hypothetical that I started the episode with, we weren't contemplating that the state X lawyer would practice any Illinois law. But this kind of situation is addressed, for example, in ISBA Advisory Opinion 12-09. That opinion discusses a situation in which a non-Illinois lawyer establishes a systematic and continuous presence within Illinois as part of a firm and provides at least legal advice, if not other legal services, to Illinois clients. The opinion suggests that that conduct would violate our Rule 5.5b and would constitute the unauthorized practice of law. That opinion, which is now 10 years old, also says a systematic and continuous presence could be virtual rather than physical. I wonder if that aspect of the opinion will hold up over the next coming years, given the trend in ethics opinions across the country toward approving virtual work by lawyers physically situated in states other than the one in which they're licensed. In any event, the two lawyers in my hypothetical should take steps to avoid any unauthorized practice problems. They should ensure that the state X lawyer does not establish a systematic and continuous presence here, and that that lawyer does not work on Illinois matters. And the firm should strongly consider forming a limited liability entity and registering as required under Rule 721. That would solidify their ability to own and operate the entity. And in order to fully comply with the rule and get the limited liability protections, they would have to get malpractice insurance, which is a good idea anyway, partly just for the peace of mind it brings, and because, in Illinois, lawyers who report that they don't carry malpractice insurance must undergo special training during the annual registration process. If the members of our hypothetical firm want to avoid that, they'll get the insurance. And they'll maintain that 721 registration for as long as they operate a multi-jurisdictional entity. At our firm, we help lawyers sort these kinds of issues out when necessary. We enjoy helping lawyers set up the firms they want, that do business the way they want, without any inconsistencies with the ethical rules or more administrative rules like Rule 721. Lawyers within and without Illinois should have the freedom to do that, for now and for the future. That's a wrap on episode three. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you found it helpful. In upcoming episodes, we'll look at more case law affecting lawyers and their practices. We'll talk about tips for handling tricky situations and explore more and more ongoing trends in our industry. I hope you'll stay with me for all of that. I'm Jim Dopke. Thanks again, and be well.